morning, everyone. It is office hours, and there he is. Oh, everybody disappears right at five o'clock. Awesome. <laughs> office hours here. It's the holiday edition. I hope everybody's gonna have a wonderful Labor Day. End of summer is one of my favorite times living in California. That means uh, we get our good weather. So uh, looking forward to that. I got the great Mike Mamola, Dave Moreno, and of course, Brian Littlefield is here. Welcome, Brian. What's going on, guys? How's it going? Morning. It's going great. Morning. Brian's the co-founder and chief product officer at Jocko Fuel. Um, and Jocko uh, is just load, loading up on the product side of things and uh, in a very, very crowded space. And Brian, you know, want to start with those products because you're uh, launching, you know, several new products. You know, in your space, how are you deciding uh, which products to launch? Uh, is there, you know, holes in the market or is it just quality that we're looking for? I mean, that's what we think. You know, we, we believe that there's there's a void in the marketplace, right? Um, our company is is rooted, like my, my partner's Pete Roberts and Jocko Willing. They're, we're all jujitsu black belts. And in the grappling world, like, we, we're, we're constantly looking for a void, right? We're looking for a hole. And that's what we're seeing in the marketplace. Like when we launched our clean energy drink, like nobody had made a healthy energy drink. Like it was an oxymoron. So we just look to solve a problem. I mean, it's the classic, you know, scenario where you see a void, you see a problem and you just, you know, apply, you know, uh, some science and some, some practicality and you just move forward. Brian, that's tremendous. Congrats on all your success so far. Um, obviously, when, when a layperson thinks about the energy industry, we immediately think about things that are, are awful for us, that are filled with sugar. I remember being in law school, studying for exams, taking five-hour energy, and it being jittery for days. What's been reputationally the biggest challenge coming into a space that's been dominated by things that are unhealthy as the healthy alternative in that space? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we're we're super lucky that we were able to partner with Jocko because um, I was talking about it yesterday. The reason why we had immediate success was because his name is synonymous with trust. Like people trust the advice he's going to give. They trust um, when he said something, he means it. And when he says something, he's going to do it. So we just came out of the gate very offensively and just said, like, hey, guys, like we are creating a healthy alternative. We got way out in front of it and said, this is what it is. And here are the reasons why. And what we did is try and target all those things that you exactly just mentioned. Like we didn't use excessive caffeine. We um, didn't use chemical preservatives. We waited nine months for our manufacturing facility to get the pasteurization tunnels in line so we could actually um, treat it with a kill step rather than put chemicals in it to preserve it. And then we also didn't use artificial sweeteners and artificial flavors. Like we went one by one through the product and said, okay, what is the healthier alternative to these particular items? And just started checking off those boxes. So um, people can, you know, the, the consumer now is getting savvier. Like they're just getting, they're more health conscious, health longevity, health span, as well as lifespan is trending right now. So people just want healthier options, but they still need energy. They still need to get shit done. This is America. We have a lot of stuff to get done. We're a hardworking culture. And, you know, we, we want that extra kick in the ass. 
Super excited to speak to you, Brian. Good morning. Very familiar with familiar with, with Jocko. I've been training jiu-jitsu for seven years now out here on the East Coast and a huge fan of what you guys are up to. So I don't know if you, I think IBJJF is coming up in October. I don't know if you guys will be out there. I'm sure some, some of you will. So hopefully get to see you there. And I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to, to energy, right? Whether it's jujitsu or any sport or just life in general, like if the car runs out of gas, it stops going and it doesn't matter how well the engine is built or how much the car costs. So at the end of the day, it comes down to that. What can people expect, whether they're in a tournament in jujitsu or playing football or, or the average uh, industrial worker, what can they expect when they, when they take or drink some Jocko fuel as a result of having it, aside from not having the jitters at the end, what kind of energy boost can we expect? Yeah, so the one thing we wanted to do was lift people up gently, which is why we have 95 milligrams of caffeine, which is about as much as it looks like you're drinking coffee. So it's about as much caffeine as a cup of coffee, which is what most people really need because caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. It is a drug. That's the most consumed drug in the world ever. So, um, it works with diminishing returns, right? You get to a certain point where you get negative effects and like you can't, just cause you have energy. Like if you get to a point where you're like jittery or you're, uh, or you have like anxiety from having too much caffeine, like you've just lost the performance aspect of it. So that's not good. So correct amount of caffeine gets you up. And then we were like, well, how do we make it even better? So we added nootropic ingredients. And if you don't know what those are, those are, cognitive boosting ingredients that we pull in from the nutraceutical world to help with focus, clarity, memory, and things like that to just take it to another level. So it's, you're going to feel sharper, we say, when you're consuming the product, but then we level it out with a really high um, quality theanine. And theanine is an amino acid that we extract from tea. So it's that balancing. So most people will drink coffee and they might feel jittery, but if they drink tea, they don't. The, the reason being is that that extra amino acid that's found in tea that's not found in coffee, and that helps make you feel level. So you go up smooth and come down smooth. So you're not really noticing that crazy rush and then that crash. And to that end, you know, there's so many, uh, we were talking about the holes in the market, but there's so many areas, gray areas in marketing um, and I work a, a lot of truly plant-based companies and it's amazing, you know, from the sizes of products to the ingredients of products, to the impact of products, how do you counteract the misinformation, uh, on the shelves, uh, where things appear, um, to be, you know, similar, if not better than because of the marketing, um, and misinformation that's utilized? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, we've had some copycats come out after us. And, um, you know, it's what the thing is, that they haven't done, though, is they haven't gone to that um, relentless end of pursuit to make it absolutely as clean as possible. So they'll they'll like they'll say, oh, it's naturally flavored and naturally sweetened, but they'll still be using chemical preservatives. And the customer has just done a really good job, like seeing through that. Like they, I, I keep going back to them. Like we, I mean, they even hold us accountable. You know what I mean? They're like, what are natural flavors? I'm like, really? Like, all right, there's a big trend now, I guess, against natural flavors. And, you know, we have to educate people that, you know, there's different kinds of natural flavors and there's different extraction processes and stuff. So um, I would say like a blend of that and also, 
we kind of like, and, and, and maybe this is right or wrong. I don't know, but we kind of, we looked at what the industry was missing and we filled a void and now we're bringing it to people. And we've kind of, I don't want to say have our blinders on, but we're focused on what we're doing. I love it. That's, that's, that's awesome. Right. You know, one of the things I think they'll be helpful and useful to, to the folks that are watching this is a lot of people think about products and, uh, and food products and, and drink products, and they don't know how to get from A to B from, you know, your idea of, you know, creating a healthy alternative to an energy drink to then how do we get it into, you know, Walmart, Target, Amazon, vitamin shopping, you know, lifetime gyms. Can you talk to us a little bit about your distribution and, and what your approach has been and, and where do you expect Jocko to be found, you know, in the next six to 12 months? Like where does it grow from there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a, there's a, there's like two, in my opinion, the two biggest hurdles are going from like ideation process where you have a good idea to actually having, you know, a product like that. Is, if you've never done it before, like you don't know how to develop a product. You don't uh, understand like the co-manufacturing industry, how to navigate brokers, you know, getting it to the product. And then what you were just talking about, which is taking it to the masses, if you're not going to do a direct consumer play. So when you go to the masses, like if, again, it goes back to, if you haven't done it before, it's, it's a new, it's a new process for you. So with us starting off, we hadn't, like we, we had a really good direct consumer business in Amazon. And when we decided to go into stores, we started off, you know, doing what we knew we could do. So we started going to trade shows like uh, ECRM and, you know, NACDS and these things where we could go and sit down with retailers and pitch to them. And in the, you know, first couple of years, it was my partner and I, Pete Roberts, like it was us. Like we, we were, we were there, we were pitching and, you know, and we, we got, um, we got, you know, lucky or, or whatever you want to call it. And vitamin shop decided to take us on. They saw something. They're like, we, we really see something here. They brought us on nationwide launched. We were the fastest growing brand in 2020 through the pandemic. And from there, it gave us the credibility to say, okay, we can perform in store actually at a high level. And now we take that data and we can show it to other retailers. So it, it, it's hard. You got to get out there. You got to get in front of these buyers and they, they're um, the buyers for these retailers. Like they're, they're picky. They own their category. You really got to get in there and, 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 and make waves. And, you know, once we got our feet wet in retail, we ended up, uh, you know, through, through networking, we ended up bringing in uh, our, our head of sales. Um, and he came from, you know, big CPG. And you got to get to that point where as a company, you know, growing from the years as a startup to, okay, now we have to actually like pull the trigger. We got to bring in somebody who has a network. And that's really what it boils down to, right, is, is networking. And he had a network and he was immediately able to pull us in to serious conversations with key retailers that's been a huge step for us. Brian, I, I know that so much of your passion for what you do today is really rooted in, in your, your brother's uh, battle with childhood cancer. And, and I think at that time, your father, it was combined with your father's uh, passion for healthy diet and natural products. So many people face struggles in life and, and it's people like you that end up winning because we take those very, very difficult times and we don't let them define us in a negative way. They help us, they let us help us refine us into what we become. How did that become pivotal for you in, in your life to get you to where you are today? 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. It was very foundational for me, but I didn't I didn't really know it then. I just it happened. I went through it, um, you know, in it, you know, put a permanent imprint in my brain about health and wellness and, and life can be short and um, don't take anything for granted. And it was kind of always there. And then the real the real turning point was, you know, coming from a sports family and having fallen off from sports late in high school and got really overweight, went off to college, blew up. I was like 265 pounds of like just not healthy. And, you know, I had that inflection moment where I was like, I need to get my shit together. And uh, when I did, that's where it all it all came together. And, I, you know, I, I I've told my story. I quickly found myself like hurrying up with my coursework, coming home and being up all night long, reading clinical literature. And then I'd be at the gym and it just, I'm one of those people, like when I decide I'm going to do something and I flip that switch, I'm just like all in, um, probably a little bit obsessive or crazy. And, uh, you know, and, and thankfully it was a, a healthy addiction and, you know, it paid off. So yeah, those, those experiences at a young age definitely were foundational. And then made me realize, you know, when I got into my early twenties, I was like, yeah, something needs to change, and I did, and it sent me down this path. Oh, thank you so much, Brian, for illustrating how we give meaning to the inflection points and in defining moments of our past and how we can change our future by doing so. Brian Littlefield, he's the co-founder and chief product officer at Jocko Fuel. You can find them everywhere. It's pretty easy to find. Congrats, man. We'd love to have you back on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank Great you. Job. Great job. All right. We got another bee coming in the house. Uh, it's the day of the bees. Here we go. Brent Kachupa. He is here, co-founder of Spot Gamma. There he is. And uh, I love the way the light's hitting his head there. So I, Sorry about I that. Trying, <laughs> I was trying to figure that one out. I'm like, what the heck is going on there? Trying to move. I don't know. So I got Reno's uh, background there. Uh, and Spot Gamma, the best way to use options data in the industry number one platform delivering daily experts analysis to, to unveil uh, soon so obviously um trading's been around a long time but trading is changing um and you know way back in 1999 when we were transcoding an xml in e-trade app onto our WAP phones and trading went you know completely crazy um there's a lot to it and uh having the correct proprietary data uh is probably one of the most essential things because we want to align that data with our timing and risk tolerance um and uh obviously options data is extremely complex um what are some of the distinctions of what you're doing with your proprietary data that uh is making it the number one platform for the top traders in the world yeah, thank, thank you for having me, David. Um, so the the key, I guess, with what we offer is, you know, everybody needs an edge, really, right? If you want to be an active trader. And we believe that the edge comes from understanding how the options market is impacting the underlying stock. So essentially, the way that it works is everyone in the world that's trading options, right, in the U.S. market, those options positions have to be hedged by banks. And it's that hedging flow, which we believe pushes around the underlying stock. And if you believe in that lens and look at the market through our lens, through this options hedging lens, you can find dislocations in the market, uh, both in the short term and then also in the longer term. And that is what provides us with some edge. That's what we believe our analysis offers some edge. And 
you know, as a point to show this, there's been a couple of major lows in the options, in, excuse me, in the stock market over the last several years. If you look at March of 2020 and December of 2018, those were major lows in the stock market, historic lows. And those were both the day after big options expirations. So essentially what happens is people uh, build up put positions, right? And for those of you who may not know what put positions are, puts are hedges that protect you if the market goes down. Those are options contracts that protect you if the market goes down. And those options expire on a monthly basis. And so what happens is when those big put positions expire, hedging flows will start to buy the stock market back up. So what you get is, you know, people are concerned that the market's going to drop because of interest rates or wars or whatever it may be. And a lot of times what's actually just driving things is, is big banks needing to buy and sell. Um, and this options data can help you sort of glean uh, a view into that. Right. There's, there, there are so many data driven industries. I, I can't think of one that is more data driven than this one. So obviously uh, spot gamma has a place in the market. But what I'm curious about is, is you came from, you know, Severn North Capital, where you were the traditional portfolio manager. We were just talking about inflection points. What was that inflection point where you want to leave the stability of a, what I assume was a very well-paid job that you were good at, <laughs> to, to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, I, so I had a kind of an interesting path. I, I worked for banks for 20 years and those were very stable, you know, uh, well-paying jobs. Uh, and then I worked at an options market maker. So I had this institutional background, right. That was very safe. Um, but it involved, you know, extremely long days, you know, 60 plus hour work weeks, uh, lots of travel away from my family. You know, you're on a plane. Uh, I was, domestic travel is doing a hundred thousand miles a year. So, you know, it's just a lot of just in and out of airports all day. Um, and so the quality of life for me just wasn't quite there. So I had an opportunity to switch to a hedge fund and to learn the buy side. And I worked for a portfolio manager and a wealthy family basically back, back rolled us. And what happened was the pandemic hit January of 2020. And the family that I worked for was heavily involved in real estate and they just started cutting costs. They, they didn't know, like everybody else, what is going to happen in this world right now. Um, so January 2020 hits. I have all these really good options models, right? I'm building something here. I have something that has real value for people uh, and also as an investment strategy. Uh, and suddenly lights just get in the office, just get shuts down, you know. So I'm sitting here in January 2020. Um, you can't go anywhere, right? Because there's the pandemic has shut everything down. So I don't even think you can go interview for jobs or do whatever it is you want to do. And so I said, I think these models have value. And I started to publish them on the internet. Um, and there were some banks that do similar types of research at the time. And I said, look, if large hedge funds are willing to pay for this data, right? They want this data from JP Morgan or Nomura, or these big banks, then there's got to be other demand for this type of research, right? And so I had this idea, let me democratize this research. I have an institutional uh, background. Uh, I can write at an institutional level. I see things through you know, that type of lens. Um, so I saw basically this opportunity to offer the research I was providing for you know, at, at a very high level um, to anybody that was willing to pay basically, right? And I wasn't charging a, a, an extreme amount. Um, you know, I'm charging a fair wage basically. Um, and so, you know, that at the time was a very novel uh, and new thing, right, to try to, try to democratize this type of research. And it was funny, I was listening to your previous guest kind of about, you know, copycats and people, you know, emulating what you do. Um, and it's fascinating to me because now there's this whole branch of this research. There's, there's a lot of competitors. Uh, it's being accepted more, you know, options driving stocks is a more accepted way to view the market. Um, 
And, you know, that's really happened over the last three years. And, and we had first move, mover advantage because we did something a little bit unique and new. Um, and I think that's, you know, that was a key lesson for me. So long story short, I, I sort of was pushed into it by the pandemic. <laughs> Good morning, Brent. Brent, I think that a lot more people would want to participate in the market, but they just don't understand it, right? They haven't been educated, <clears throat> haven't been brought up in a family that's explained it to them. They might feel like now it's too late. I can't get in. And you just gave us a fantastic description and definition of puts, what that is. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. How much of, of the things like that does Spot Gamma address to help? In other words, what's the level of entry? Because a lot of people don't want to get in because they don't know how to analyze the market. They don't know how to look at these things. Is this is Spot Gamma something where people can start to get in or what level of sophistication might they need to really benefit from Spot Gamma? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So our daily notes, the things that we write every day, um, they're written at an institutional level and they do require um, a little more of advanced understanding. We want to bring people up to our level of understanding as opposed to sort of writing things at a, as a, at a lower level. Um, and we do it. So what we offer is if you go to academy.spotgamma.com, we offer a training session that takes you all the way from what is an option all the way up to awesome. uh, this advanced level of training. And that actually course is was written and delivered by a guy named Imran Maka. And his training course is what they use for interns at banks. So we didn't, you know, there's a lot of people that offer training courses. And we said, let's find one of the guys who does this the best, right? Education and training, um, you know, he's got a very specific formula for that. And if the banks use it for their interns, then it's definitely good enough for, you know, the average retail guy like us trying to trying can, to trick. Can you give that to us one more time slowly just to make sure the audience can get that? <laughs> sure. Academy.spotgamma.com. I apologize. I'm losing my voice a little bit. I've been talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's all right. We barely talk all day. So we're with, right with you. What um, is interesting is, you know, I teach three different areas to look at the market itself, the market makers and the margins. And although, you know, the market is apparent, the margins people ignore, which is always one of my favorite things because people get so busy working, they don't make any money. And uh, but finally, the market makers are the most difficult ones. And yet people like you are market makers and then, you know, create these systems to figure out how the market is made. And therefore, we then can take advantage of really big margins um, yeah. for you. How long did it take to understand the market makers? Uh, because it, it seems, you know, unbelievable right that all of these huge banks investment bankers all these family offices everybody's involved and it didn't seem like anyone noticed that you know the options were a market maker uh was this you know just in that two periods the last two lows or you know was it disguised because march 2020 was the pandemic and 2018 there may have been you know alternative philosophies or strategies why is it that you were able to pick up on who the market makers were you know that nobody else could i, I think it's because when i was working at the bank so i worked at bank of american credit swiss and one of my jobs was to help design options based trading algorithms so i would actually design how you could electronically send an order out to all these different exchanges and so i saw under the hood exactly how all these things would work um, so I knew there was this link between, you know, at the most basic level, when you put in an options order, you know, what happens? So I'm trying to get rid of my glare here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And so I could God, see God's shining on you. Don't worry. Just lean in. Right. <laughs> Light is shining. I need to receive it. Right. Um, uh, so I saw under the hood there exactly how to work at a most fundamental basis. And then working for the family office, I did nothing every day except for look at the S&P 500, which is the biggest stock index in the world. Right. It's a global U.S. benchmark. And I saw every day how these options positions would change and how the market would react to that. And so when I started just tracking that position every day and fundamentally understanding what happens when that order hits the market, who receives that order, how do they hedge their risk? Um, so the, the family office that, you know, the hedge fund that I worked for for the last seven months was a blessing in that it allowed me to just basically get paid to just focus on that one aspect uh, for, you know, several years, right? Only focused on that. And that really allowed me to, to put these pieces together and build models that could track and forecast what, what, what was happening. I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Uh, let me build a model that tells me what could happen tomorrow. And when you start to build that model and see, okay, this is starting to give me a little bit of an edge. There's something here. Right. Um, and that, you know, that was, it, it's just a lot of fortunate events, right. That you put these pieces together. I mean, I'm a person who believes in, in luck uh, in a lot of ways, but you need to be, be prepared to take advantage of that luck. Right. The, the world kind of gives you these opportunities. Um, and when do you have to, when do you grab that opportunity? I guess is kind of what the, what the key is, right. How do you recognize and grab that opportunity? Um, and so, you know, I built these models and I think that it was it made it easier to take the risk of offering the models to the public. Right. And then what happened was me mania hit. Right. And GameStop exploded and everybody and their brother suddenly was trading options. And that took our business. Just it ramped it. Right. And so we were positioned in the right way. And, and you know, look, we're certainly lucky that everyone wanted to start trading options in, in January of 2021. Um, and we were ready to sort of take advantage of that. Um, and And really our narrative has shifted from, hey, options do move the market. People didn't believe that until January 2021. And now everyone believes it and they want to identify, you know, where the next trade is based on options volume. Well, it's a, an amazing feat, uh, total astonishment. And just uh, what a great, I mean, I, I'm not sure everyone understands the complexity uh, of being able to identify that. Uh, you know, that's the thing that, you know, to me was just so amazing is like, wow you guys real really nailed it and of course you know all the big followers but yet it's tough to beat the first to market uh spot gamma the academy uh spot gamma as well make sure what a great place to learn about this uh you know these are where markets are made uh brent thank you so much for joining us i'd love to have you back on as well uh keep the glare on you it looks good Don't worry. <laughs> thank you very much for the opportunity i enjoyed talking to you guys yeah great great job thank you Thanks, Brent. All right. We are back again. Here we go. Jan Lehman is Lehman is here, founder and CEO uh, of CTC, Create the Culture. And uh, Jan, I'm just so excited to have you here because I talk about three things, productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. And I believe they're all intertwined uh -huh. and they all should be reconciled with time. Um, yeah. And you have a new book. Uh, that is right aligned with these three lenses that I utilize, exactly. work smart, do more. Um, and there's a lot in that idea of working smart mm -hmm. and doing more. And so I'd love to hear, you know, some of your distinctions of how do we work smart and what does it mean to do more? Yeah, thank you. It's so good to be here. I appreciate it. 
So the, the title actually is a little trick to it. So ultimately what we're doing is helping you get back time in your day. So work smart, but the do more part is really about what you want to do at that time. So if you're an entrepreneur, you want to grow your business, great, put your time there. But if you want to have a life outside of work and do that other part. So um, the subtitle to me is the one that really clarifies what the book is about. So it's about it's specifically geared for leaders in a company, and it's about helping them optimize what I think are your three most valuable resources, time, talent, and technology to create a winning culture. So it's about being smart the way you lead your people, but you're not driving them to kill them. <laughs> you're driving them to make it a win-win situation, which is critical in the tight job market. So it's, it's really helping leaders be as effective as possible in this market. Jen, very interesting. How do you how do you think the the pandemic has affected the attention span in the workspace? I find that so many of the folks that, that I supervise, mm-hmm. while they're productive on some things, they're you know going to gym and doing the hair and you know traveling during the workday, during meetings, and, and doing all types of things that you know you wouldn't have done five years ago. Um, do you see that as well? And what tips do you have for for younger folks within organizations? to help with their attention span. I feel like once I have an in-person meeting, you know, more than an hour, I'm losing folks. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a huge issue right now. We, we joke that the there's an Amazon effect going on, which is the younger generation is raised in this environment where they're used to ordering something on the internet and it shows up the next day. So everything's ASAP, everything's moving fast. And until leaders really reset expectations and say, it's okay to slow down. We don't have to be highly responsive. I think we're starting to see a trend where they're like, oh, okay, this is just a different way of working. So right now everybody feels notifications, all your pop-up messages need to be on. So you're highly responsive. That is the worst way to work. And so that's part of what they're being sucked into, right? So they're used to sort of monitoring their TikTok and all of that. And they do the same thing in a work environment. So it's a little bit different than what you're talking about, David, as far as being distracted and doing things. But that's the bigger issue that we see is this distraction. And, And to me personally, it's just a form of procrastination. So we always tell people, turn off the noise, really allow interruptions on your terms. Um, people also learned a lot about themselves during the pandemic. And there were some people that should not be working from home for exactly that reason. So we've had more older people that will confess, you know, I just wanted to go mow the lawn or weed the garden when I was at home. And so if you don't have that self-discipline, then probably being in a work environment is a better option for you. And with regard to that, just to, to build on that, good morning, Jen, how much of um, the ability for an employer to improve an employee's um, potential is directed at finding that employee where they are. And, and what I mean is, you know, we, we all, you know, we have this nine to five workday, most people do. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of the studies that are coming out now show that based on circadian rhythms or different things, people are really more or less effective during a certain three hour period. And depending on where cycles are during that, you may or may not be getting the most out of your employees. How do we address that? Yeah, thanks, Mike. I totally agree. So it really, there should be a lot of flexibility. I mean, we have people that are night owls and they are super focused at like midnight, right? So yeah, are you awesome? So yeah. And so it's really about understanding, it's balanced, right? Let's understand the person and how they can be most productive, but there's still that time we need to all be together and collaborating. And so it's finding that. So I hate it when I hear companies are like, we're eight to four or whatever it might be. There should be some flexibility around that, even for people in the office. 
Um, I'm a morning person. I get my best work done in the morning. And if you made me do something really heady and deep thinking in the afternoon, you'd be wasting my talents. And so that's a lot, honestly, what the book is about is really figuring out uh, more about your people, really listening to what they need, how they can be more successful, not being kind of the command and control leadership we've seen in the past where leaders are just dictating the way people work. So it's a much more collaborative world. I'm sure you're seeing that. And it's, and it's a smart decision to do that. And to that end, engagement, um, you know, we have all these polls coming out about the low levels of engagement. And I use an analogy with Tom Brady, especially now he proved my point. Um, he's not very valuable, uh, not showing up. And, you know, there's this uh, huge trend right now that people pretend to show up and they're just not engaged. And yeah. that engagement uh, is about, you know, their productivity, their accessibility, and, and also their gratitude, the ability to find, you know, light, love, and lessons in the activity they get paid for. Uh, so yeah. does your book address the engagement issue? Because no matter how talented and how much technology and how much time, whether it's nine to five, eight to four, or like in my company, unlimited uh, time off, uh, and you pick your hours, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not engaged, you're not going to get nearly the, I, I'd rather have the worst quarterback in, in the NFL totally engaged than Tom Brady at home with Giselle. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I have to confess this sort of came about, we didn't start off thriving for that. We were all about how do we get companies to run efficiently? And we started to hear a lot of feedback from the people we were working with. We had people we were coaching that were like, oh my gosh, I was about ready to quit my job. I hated it, but now I'm going to stay. I feel much better. And we started tracking metrics and we started tracking four metrics, two were quantitative and two were qualitative, and they were amazing results. So the quantitative first one was how much time do you have back in your day? Like, you know, after the training or after the coaching, on average, I'm very happy to report we deliver a 10% bump in productivity, which is pretty darn good. That's more than a month back into your year. So I'll take it. Then we look at numbers. So if you're in sales, how much is revenue going up? Those sort of things. But the two qualitative were the ones that I was like, whoa, what the heck? They were, is your job satisfaction going up and is your stress going down? And that's where we were seeing amazing numbers. I had two people that said their job satisfaction went up a hundred percent after the coaching. And I'm like, I actually called them. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't think you understood the question. And they're like, no, I hated my job before, but now I am more empowered. You've given me permission to have conversations with my boss about how I work, like you were just talking about. And so that's actually been the byproduct that's come out of our work. And that is the focus of the book. Again, work smart. And really, you can create this amazing culture, which is super critical right now, as we all know. So I'm a huge fan too, David. So Jen, we've spoken about two of the, the valuable resources really at length from the book, the time and the talent, but where does the technology play in that? And how can organizations utilize a technology that optimize further? Yeah, David, you don't want to get me started. We'll be here for a while. <laughs> it's a hot topic right now. So I'll give you... So basically, in particular, in this hybrid work environment, it's critical. Every company has got to get their data in the cloud. Some of the challenges with people working from home is they don't have access to data. They can't figure out how to communicate and collaborate. So we are huge advocates and experts in Microsoft 365. I don't care if you're using Google or Microsoft. Just get your data in the 
cloud, leverage those systems to drive productivity across the group. So um, Deloitte did a great study many years ago about how we're moving from more of an individual contributor environment to a team environment. And lucky, luckily, the tech companies were ahead of the curve. And when the pandemic hit, we now have amazing technology. So um, yeah, I could go on and on about it, but I, we see huge spikes in productivity from leveraging technology. And, and so talking about technology, how about uh, natural technology, Jan, when we talk about the productivity of employees, how important is health and happiness in employees with regard to productivity? So my question is, you know, I think some of the studies show that happy employees are more productive. Healthy employees obviously are more productive. How do we address those needs? Yeah, it's resetting the mindset. I'm a believer that white space drives productivity and there's just there needs to be a shift in the leader's mindset, which is why I'm hoping every leader buys my book, not just selfishly. But um, I just think we, we're looking at it the wrong way. So there's a lot going on right now in the media about monitoring employees and their productivity by keystrokes. That is so backwards. So it's just really about understanding how to make it a win-win situation, how to get the person in the right seat doing the job they really love. Uh, one of my favorite things to tell leaders to do is, is to delegate what you hate doing, right? They're in a leadership position. You know, there's somebody chomping at the bit to move up. So just thinking smart, it's a lot about giving them permission to do things differently. That kind of opens the floodgates and makes them realize they can start delegating different things or automating stuff they hate doing. There's lots of opportunity to drive happiness. And Jan, how do you reconcile, you know, there's uh you know, an unrealistic, I think, mindset of, you know, give everything away that you don't love to do. You know, one of my objectives of making money is to be able to pay people to do things that I don't like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot less expensive and more efficient thing is to <clears throat> learn to love what I'm doing and learn to love the prioritization of the most important things that I do. And I think a lot of people, uh, in a more entitled generation, you know, are looking for just, Oh, you know, they, they want to be, you know, in rainbows and in, in sunshine, all their activity that they get paid for. But the, the truth is those people that are most successful, most engaged, productive, accessible, and gracious have learned to love what they do. They find the light, the love and the lessons in, in what they're doing. Um, so how do you, you know, address those leaders that, you know, can, can, can afford or can't afford to give everything away that they don't like. And so now all, all they do is only one thing, which may not be the most important thing to the company and may not be utilizing their skill set uh, to the maximized potential. Yeah, the only thing, though, David, I'd say that's where you have engagement issues. If somebody is doing something every day that they really don't enjoy, they're not in the right seat. So that's a conversation. Yeah, but I, I don't mean to interrupt you. That's to me, that's the problem, right? Is that oh, it, it, they're not learning. They're they're not giving it a chance, right? I I right. There, there's people that they listen to you give that advice that you know delegate that stuff that you don't like to do, uh, but meanwhile you know, you, you get in, at least in my history of coaching, speaking and, and looking at this, the people that challenge themselves and may not like something at first end up loving it because they find the, the light, the love and the lesson they learn to love it and it ends up being the, the most important and engaging thing. And, you know, a lot of people may not like playing golf at first because they suck, but <laughs> right. But they work, they work through it and it becomes 
you know, a, a passion of their life, uh, you know, probably on the other side of it. I see the same thing with my own employees, right? I give it a chance to learn to, to love it. Don't just delegate it and, and say to yourself, oh yeah, well, I don't like this. So I'm not going to assign this to that person, right? Get, how do, how do we get that side of it? Because I think people are cheating themselves from really rewarding and engaging and productive things. Yeah, David, you're right. And um, so it really is helping them understand that bigger picture. And you might not love this now, but in order for you to really delegate and effectively manage somebody else doing it, you really need to understand it. So th there are ways to position it to get somebody to go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I can do this. Right. But I will tell you, there, there's just a certain amount of people, and I know you're seeing this, that they're not coachable, they're not motivated, and you and I probably spot that fairly quick. So you know, so. we'll try everything we can, and there's great strategies for procrastination. How do you do something that you hate doing? And, you know, There are ways to do it. But at the end of the day, there's just some people, and I, it's hard for me because you and I are probably the same. Like I'm, I love challenge, um, but I'll, I'll spot it and I'll be like, I'm really sorry, but we're probably not the right match because they don't have that inner drive and the interest. So, um, yeah. I love that answer. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to give you a little bit of a challenging yeah, I question. That. So I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Dave, you have the last question? Yeah, of course. Jan, um, what three things can, can leaders do right now? If, I want everybody to buy a book. Please go out, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. But what three things can leaders do right now to get the most out of the, their organizations? If you could just boil it down to three things. Yeah. So have a conversation with your team members. Find out, like you guys said earlier, like where do you work? How do you work best? Let's figure this out. Don't let me. A lot of leaders make assumptions that everybody works the way they work. That's the biggest problem. So one is start that dialogue, figure it out. Two, allow, give permission for your people to turn notifications and pinging off. Um, they need that freedom to be able to move away to actually stay focused and do their best work. And then the third is come up with the definition of what's a true emergency in your business that allows people to realize that. I was working with an intellectual property firm yesterday and we laughed. They're like, there's nothing that's an emergency in IP, right? And But companies need to think about that. And once you think about, yeah, what warrants interrupting somebody and they're going to lose over 23 minutes of time. And once you have that conversation, then everybody's like, okay, I can turn off notifications. I know I'm going to be checking my text and my emails once I come up for air from what I'm working on. And that's the right way of working. So hope, I hope I answered three. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We want to make sure everybody got the title I see there in the notes. Work smart, do more. <clears throat> and the subtitle, by the way, as I choke on myself, uh, I, can you give us this, the subtitle about time, talent, and technology? Yeah, it's the CEO's guide for optimizing time, talent, and technology to create a winning culture. And the book is only on pre-order right now. So you go to ctcproductivity.com slash pre-order and you can order the book and be one of the first to get it. So we got it posted right up there. Jan, fascinating and very <clears throat> important and poignant work. We appreciate you coming on. We'll look forward. When, when's the book going to launch? It's supposed to be launching January 3rd. So fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. I, I know how that goes. Well, we will be excited. I, I'll be the first one on the wait list right after this. So thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, thanks everyone. Have a good day. Awesome. Thank you. Very good. All right, boys, let's get a takeaway for the day. Mm, the best way to predict the future is to create it.
when we look at what everybody's doing, you know, with what they were doing with Jocko Fuel, you know, being in shape, making sure that you have the energy to get you through the day with what Brent was doing and talking about with Spot Gamma being able to figure out what's happening in the markets and with Jan's talking about getting the best out of your uh, your employees as a leader is to make sure that you're looking into the future and you're creating it as you go. I love it. Great takeaway, Mike. Mine is it's, it's, it's similar. Uh, it's an amalgam also of all three or three guests. And, and I've seen from all of them is that they've made a lifelong commitment to learning um, and learning while you go, obviously will, will help push forward what you learn to, to people working with you and under you. And, and obviously Jan said that learning is a lifelong thing uh, with, with Jocko Fuel, that they're, they're learning the market to see where they get to impact it. And then lastly, uh, with Brent and Spock, Emma, uh, the way that their data and studying the markets can be used and implemented is all based on online. Yeah, mine's relative to that, Dave. Um, <clears throat> I have my favorite quote that uh, I love being seen uh, in a lot of different places now and, and heard. It's, it's fun when I'm sitting backstage places and people, you know, are oh, be more interested than interesting. And it's one of the first lessons I learned when I was 18 years old and thought I wanted to be a doctor, but thought I, you know, I didn't realize I hated hospitals and all doctors had to be in hospitals. Um, so I think all of our guests, you know, see past the surface and I see that on labels, you know, with, uh, in the Jocko fuel space, either, you know, Celsius puts a big piece of fruit, you know, on their, on their can. And all of a sudden one thinks it's healthy because it has all these artificial things in there and a ton of caffeine uh, to get you up. Uh, and then Brent, you know, that probably is the classic example of being more interested. I mean, I, I'm still just amazed that with all the billions, maybe even trillions of dollars uh, that have been around options that nobody's recognized or, rec or recognized or reconciled uh, the market making of options into uh, that. And then, of course, the most poignant uh, and I think product productive one uh, is Jan. She's so much more interested in how do we, you know, people just have these trite sayings, you know, work smart, you know, work hard. You know, I say work long, which means work consistent and persistently, but uh, how do we do more and what does doing more mean? And so all three of our guests are more interested than interesting. And I think it's a great takeaway. It's one of the first big lessons of my life that I try my best to spend minutes and moments outside of uh, in order to be more productive, accessible, and gracious, uh, and uh, utilizing the values that I have and aligning those who are around me with those values. Uh, appreciate both of you guys. We have training in about an hour and 13 minutes, and uh, we've been doing this for October. It'll be 23 uh, years of free trainings every Fridays. Uh, gotten a lot bigger, obviously, because of uh, the virtual nature of training now instead of having to buy everybody lunch and show up at my office. I'm not sure if you guys were around when I used to do those trainings yes. pre COVID, but uh, we're st still looking for a lunch spot. I'm still looking for a lunch spot. So we almost had blaze pizza, Taco Bell, but uh, ho hopefully someday I'll get uh, a digital coupon. I can give up for everyone that uh, comes to training that they can go, go to lunch and uh, get trained as well. All right, my boys, I will talk to you soon. Hopefully I'll see you at training. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. There we have it.
uh, if anybody would like to reach out and join our free training, we've been doing it for almost 23 years, david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you so much for everyone that's reading our book. It's been a great campaign. We've been giving out free books for years, signing them, sending them, paying for shipping. If you haven't got your book or registered for training, it's david at dmeltzer.com. If it's free, it's we. And I look forward to being we with you. Please email me, david at dmeltzer.com. I want to thank my team as well. Always doing a great job. I appreciate you all. Remember, most importantly, my takeaway for the day, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Thanks.